Welcome to the inaugural Hogan Lovell's Pensions Podcast. I'm Faye Jarvis and I'm joined today by my fellow partner Duncan Buchanan. We're kicking off this series of podcasts with a look at transfers to master trusts and some of the issues that arise for employers and trustees. But before we get into the issues, Duncan, perhaps you could remind us what is a master trust? Well, thank you, Faye. Um, I think it's fair to say master trusts, DC master trusts, are a relatively new creation. They came about as a result of the automatic enrolment legislation. I think before then, an employer that wanted to provide pension benefits for its employees had the choice of either setting up a defined contribution occupational pension scheme, the traditional paternalistic trust-based arrangement, or going to an insurance company or financial company and setting up a group personal pension plan. When auto-enrolment came along, employers were required to start contributing to pension schemes. So there was a sudden need for thousands of employers, particularly small employers, to start contributing to pension schemes. And um, the industry started uh, setting up uh, defined contribution master trusts. These are occupational pension schemes. But the the two differences, the first is any employer could participate in them. They didn't have to be part of a group or anything. And the second uh, difference is these were run for commercial purposes. Uh, Unlike a traditional occupational pension scheme, which is very paternalistic, these were being operated with a view to making a profit. Now, um, these days, since 2017-18, master trusts have been required to be authorised by the pensions regulator. Uh, And today there are 36 authorised master trusts in the market. We expect that number to reduce over time because there is a a drive for consolidation in the market. So what we are seeing is an increased popularity, as you say, of of schemes moving to master trusts. And what do you think is driving that that interest in transferring? I think there were, there were three main reasons for, for, for the drive to move to a master trust. And I think the, the main impetus will come from the employer rather than from DC pension trustees. Um, to start with, the, there is a huge wave of increased governance and regulation coming down the tracks to uh, those trustees operating DC pension plans. The government and regulators seem very keen on large DC schemes and the concept of consolidation. So there's a big push towards um, small DC plans, bad, big DC master trust, good. Uh, The second reason, I think, is from an employer's point of view, there is now this option that didn't exist before, whereby you can participate in a an authorised master trust that's got the rubber stamp from the regulator. uh, And effectively, all you do is pay your contributions at at the rates you agree with the the master trust. And that's that's all you need to do. You don't need to find trustees or anything. It's taken care of. And the third thing for some of my schemes, they were defined benefit, final salary type schemes. When they closed to uh, future accrual, the employer and the trustees put a defined contribution section into the same scheme. So we call those a hybrid scheme. Quite a few of the hybrid schemes that that I'm dealing with are getting to the point where 
they're close to being able to secure all of their defined benefit liabilities in full with an insurer. And as part of that process, they're looking to offload their defined contribution members to a DC master trust. That is a process that has been facilitated by recent changes in legislation. So I'd say they're the three main reasons, Faye. And so if you're an employer with 36 master trusts out there, how do you decide which one is right for your employees? Uh, Again, uh, interesting question. I think there's horses for courses. Uh, There are some master trusts that are aimed specifically at the smaller employer end of the market and and are looking really for automatic enrolment contributions. Then there are other master trusts that focus more on mature DC pension plans and and effectively outsourcing the existing DC plan. Um, What we're seeing in practice is that an employer, and as I say, it tends to be an employer decision, will engage with a consultant to come up with a list of potential um, uh, master trusts to, to, um, to investigate. Um, I think it is important for the employer to engage with the trustees early in the process, because as we'll come on to, the trustees play a, a, a vital role in, in the transition. Um, and don't forget, as an employer, you need 60 days consultation with your employees uh, as part of the process. So um, if, you, if you have a union or a works council, it might be sensible to involve them in the process. Um, so I, th- I think there is, a, there is a mechanism for deciding. At the end of the day, I think you're going to get a gut feel as the employer with the trustees as to the appropriate master trust for your members. And so we've talked about one issue, and in, in obviously employees need to think about consulting their, their employees before they can do this. But, but let's say that consultation goes well and, and they do want to implement and move to a master trust. Are there any other things that they need to be, be thinking about once they've selected that master trust? I think from an employer's point of view, there are two main issues. First, make sure you know what you're signing up to. I think most employers, when they go into a master trust, expect that they they will just pay the contributions regularly every month to the master trust provider, and that's them finished and off the hook. Um, But you need someone to look into the weeds of the trust deed and rules for the scheme to make sure that by participating in the scheme, you're not giving indemnities that you didn't know about or that amendments can't be made to the scheme without your knowledge or without your prior uh, consent or prior notification. Because in the past, we had uh, things called DB master trusts. The Merchant Navy schemes are a good example. Uh, And a number of employers that participated in the Merchant Navy pension schemes it came back to bite them later on because the trustees changed the rules of the scheme to impose obligations on employers who'd ceased to participate many years earlier. Um, So be be alive to the terms of the trustee and rules, first point. Second point is not all marriages last. Um, You're going to be entering into a a master trust and you're going to want to, uh, you're going to expect it to be a long-term relationship. It's quite a lot of work in moving to a master trust behind the scenes but you should be alive to the possibility that the relationship won't be as 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 good in the future so what's the exit route Uh, a number of employers have negotiated that 
they can leave on relatively short notice and can take their members with them and bulk transfer them to, to the replacement trust. So they're the two main issues for, for the employers. Let's move now to what's involved if you're a trustee of a DC scheme and your employer asks you to move to a master trust. There are many issues here for the trustees, but first, well, I think they're going to be asked to transfer all of their assets to this, this new master trust arrangement. What are you seeing in practice, Faye? So there are, there are two fundamental issues that come with the, the request to transfer all of your assets. Um, the first one is, is managing out-of-market risk. Um, you may be lucky enough as, as trustees to be able to do what we call a lift and shift. So effectively transfer your assets in VC to the master trust. That might be possible if you've got the same, happen to have the same investment uh, provider. But chances are that that won't be the case. And what you'll need to do is disinvest and then um, pay over the cash and then buy units in uh, the master trust investments. And with that, obviously, comes out of market risk. Now, the way we're seeing that dealt with is for parties to enter into a pre-funding agreement, which effectively is where the master trust and their investment provider agree to invest before they receive the cash from uh, the transferring trustees. So, so they borrow the money they're expecting to receive and invest it in advance and then repay the borrowing when they get the money from the DC trust. Exactly. The second issue is around fund mapping. Um, clearly, members may have chosen uh, funds that they want to invest in in your master trust. Um, you'll need to see whether you can um, map those across. Are the charges similar? So there's a lot to think about there and you'll need some specialist advice. And you'll also uh, probably want to be concerned about whether you've created any new default arrangements, although that's probably uh, an issue more for the master trust trustee. Um, obviously, with a default, there are charge caps, which, which may cause problems. And we're getting into quite a bit of detail there, but uh, let's move on. As trustee, you're, you're going to need to communicate with your members, aren't you? And what do you see? Yeah, so um, obviously the employer has to do the con initial consultation, but as trustees, you're going to want to ensure that all your members, so deferreds as well, understand the rationale for the move to the master trust and the benefits of the, of the transfer. What does it mean for them? But also I think as trustees, you can use this as a really good opportunity to engage your um, membership and really try to get them to engage with their pensions and do things like update their expressions of wish form that they'll need for their pension pot in their new scheme. And presumably the master trust that you've chosen will assist in that communication exercise. But move, moving on, I, I talked about these hybrid schemes at the DB and DC. And one of the attractions of having a DC pot is that when a member comes to retire, they can take that pot as their tax-free lump sum and not exchange um, pension for their tax-free lump sum. Presumably that, that is a barrier when you're coming to transfer to a master trust? What do you see in practice? So it's, it's certainly an issue that trustees will be um, really mindful of because obviously that's often a really valued benefit for their members and they wouldn't want them to lose that uh, because of the transfer. So the practical way around that is to allow the members to transfer back at retirement to the employer's scheme um, and then use the cash they've transferred back to fund their tax-free cash lump sum. Um, you'll need the master trust to agree that that's okay. Um, and obviously there may be issues if the employer is looking uh, to fundamentally buy out in the future. Um, but that, there are generally ways around that. And, and I think there might be some techie issues around that, but they're, they're beyond the scope of this podcast. Um, now, 
there are two certainties in life. The first certainty is tax and pensions tax is very complicated. Um, what, do you, what, what are the issues for trustees in transferring to a master trust as far as tax is concerned? So the main thing to watch out for is if any of your members have some form of protection under the tax legislation. So that may be, might be a protected pension age or some type of form of lifetime allowance protection, such as enhanced protection. If they do, then you can still make the transfer, but you need to ensure that it satisfies certain conditions under the Finance Act. The last thing you'd want to do, as a, uh, particularly as trustees, is to effect a transfer and then discover that you've caused a member to lose their enhanced protection. So it's, it's a really important one to watch out for. Yes, and, and the normal pension age, minimum pension age is rising shortly to 57. 57. So again, you want to check what the provisions are in your scheme and whether members would effectively have a right to take their benefits at 55 under your scheme that they're then going to lose because of the transfer to the master trust. So there's, there's quite a bit to think about there. OK, and last, the second certainty in life is death. Um, a number of my uh, DC, master, uh, DC schemes, uh, occupational schemes, provide life cover within the scheme. What, did, what, what happens on a transfer to a master trust fee? So lots of master trusts probably don't provide death in service benefits of a, of a lump sum multiple of salary. And so what that means is the employer will need to think about setting up their own uh, new life assurance arrangement. Uh, lots of employers we're seeing at the moment are looking at setting up accepted life assurance schemes. Um, but that's a whole other po podcast topic in itself. I think one practical point to note is that you would want to link in with probably the master trust provider because the master trust will be paying a benefit on death. The, the pot effectively that the members built up and then they'd have a separate one under the, the life assurance scheme so the extent to which you can smooth the process for the beneficiaries of your employee that might be something you want to explore with the master trust provider. Yes it, it gets a bit tricky if you have to fill in more than one expression of wish form uh, for, for, for different schemes and arrangements. Uh, they, they, that completes my questions for you, Faye. Well, and thank you for joining us for our uh, first Pensions podcast. Please listen out for our next one uh, in May and also join us for our webinar on climate change and pensions, what do trustees need to know on the 2nd of March. Thank you.